All right, well, uh, welcome back to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. Uh, my name is Boston, one of the co-hosts, and my pronouns are he, him. My name's Lyndon, pronouns he, him, the other co-host. Today we have a very special guest on the podcast. We uh, had said, actually, the last episode that we were hoping to get you on. We knew you were going to come on eventually, but just so we made a reality now. Um, we have the ELCIC, or Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, National Bishop Susan Johnson here to talk to us about uh, her experience recently at Camp Brady and uh, Truth and Reconciliation generally. So welcome, Bishop Susan. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So I'm Susan. My pronouns are she, her. And um, I am a lifelong Lutheran, daughter of a pastor, granddaughter of a pastor, great uncles were pastors, et cetera, et cetera. So after some years of teaching music, I fell into the family business and here I am. That's awesome. So it was, I can't remember um, the exact date in September that you and other church leaders had a chance to go out to Camp Brady. Um, but could you sort of tell us about the process leading up to that and tell us about the visit? Mm -hmm. So just to clarify, we were at the Brady Landville, but it was Camp Morgan that we were at. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I got that. Yeah, no, I think I, I know. Simple mix up. So don't worry about it. So um, I've been concerned since the um, announcement of the of the potential of the two missing and murdered Indigenous women and perhaps more being in the Prairie Green landfill and the desire of families to do the search and how long it took the Manitoba government to do sort of like um, inquiries into, you know, and, and surveys into how safe and was it possible and so on. Um, maybe one little backward step is that um, I had been doing some advocacy work for Israel-Palestine in Ottawa with um, two other church, women church leaders, um, Archbishop Linda Nichols from the Anglican Church and the Right Reverend Carmen Lansdowne from the United Church. And we realized that um, Reverend Mary Fontaine was going to be elected as the moderator of the Presbyterian Church. So for the first time ever, in Canada, the four main Protestant uh, churches were going to be headed by women. So, um, and we had said, let's do some things this year, then let's take advantage of this. So Carmen Lansdowne was the one who reached out and said, look, can we do something together? And it took a long time to, well, it didn't take that long, but it was hard to find a date where we could all be in Winnipeg uh, to do this, this piece. And that date ended up being September the, I want to say 5th or 4th, but I'll double check uh, somewhere. I've got it in my calendar. Um, and it was the Tuesday after Labor Day. So whatever that was. Um, United Church kindly sent out some people in advance to um, vet the situation and see whether we would be even welcome to attend. Um, I think people were pleased that uh, what we heard about is that the people at Camp Morgan were pleased, pleased that we were the ones reaching out for them instead of us, them trying to have to reach out to us for support. Um, so on the particular day, we, we, um, we went out um, 
there'd been um, some buzz since the um, United Church let out the, or did a press release on behalf of all the churches. And uh, so I was sort of in a media semi-frenzy, you know, for, for church standards frenzy, <laughs> doing interview and, and uh, interviews for radio and television um, before we went out to camp. And so I had to go out early to, to uh, tape as it happens as well. Um, and uh, we found ourselves there and uh, chose to, even though a lot of TV cameras were set up, we chose to go into the wigwam for ceremony first so we could have conversation with the family members, assure them of what our intentions were and um, we did smudging together and they expressed words of appreciation. Um, and then after that time of ceremony, we went outside and, and, and took turns speaking to media about what our concerns were. So that's sort of how it started um, and, uh, and came into being. And that's, that's how it ended up being that day. In the end, Archbishop Linda Nichols from the Anglican Church wasn't able to be with us, but Archbishop Chris Harper, who's the National Indigenous Archbishop was there. And along with Bishop Adam and Bishop Larry from the, um, who are Indigenous bishops in the Anglican Church and Bishop Jason from um, the Anglican Church, from the Lutheran Church, I should say, local Lutheran Church Synod was there as well. So, you know, uh, well represented by church leaders and quite a few church members came out. It was a really good crowd and I was very pleased with the attendance of people who came out to give support. That's amazing. Um, and so sounds like you spent a, a bit of time out there. Um, can you kind of describe the, the feeling in the camp when you were out there? Sure, the camp feels like a family. The people who are staying at camp and staying in shifts are um, have become like family to one another. You can really feel the closeness of the people. Um, they started last December, so they've gone through one winter with tents. Um, they're working on building some smaller um, buildings right now, shed-sized buildings, because that's what you can build without a permanent permit and uh, or a permit for a permanent structure and uh, um, so they've got a couple teepees they've got a giant uh, wigwam um, built for larger groups and for ceremonial purposes they're hoping that that will be winterized um, you know it's temporary in nature so it, it, it doesn't have an issue with building code um, and um, they've got a place where this the fire the ceremonial fire continues to burn um that's a major uh, request that they have is for firewood because they go through about a quarter a week just keeping the ceremonial fire going um very little in the way of cooking space um and still most people staying in tents so they're hoping to have some smaller buildings or some better coverings for their tents for this, this coming winter. And it sounds like nobody's there full-time that people to sort of take it in shifts uh, because they're trying to, at the same time, run out their lives and uh, 
which which is perfectly understandable, um, and uh, have access to you know cleaning facilities, etc., etc., etc. It's cold. It's windy. It's in a really windy place. Well, almost any place in Winnipeg is a really windy place, but out there in particular, it's really windy, and it was a very cold day. Um, so you got a good, you got a good sense about you know the determination that people have to stay in the camp, to stay until something's done. Um, and I really admire that that um, dedication and and that sign of commitment uh, that family and and uh, friends and others in the community who have become like a family have taken on. Is there a, a law enforcement or a municipal presence there that are kind of keeping track of folks at the camp? Or? Um, there was a security car um, close by, uh, but only security, not police. There have been threats to take the camp down. There's a second camp now at um, the Museum for Human, Human Rights, a smaller camp. So uh, we'll see how that one fares too in the city of Winnipeg. But so far, no threats to take it down. Just on the front lawn of the museum? Um, off to the side, yeah. Um, what, what has been the, the atmosphere in the in the Lutheran Church in Canada, do you feel like? We're here in Victoria. We don't always have a good sense of how things are received uh, across the wider church. Um, so unless like we read things online from colleagues or, or friends, um, hard, hard to gauge, I guess, where the temperature is on, on this or similar issues. Yeah, I was, I was delightfully surprised and pleased that in this case, I got more positive um, email and and uh, other messages than I did negative. I did get negative, and there were some people who really wanted to tell me how opposed they were and they, what a waste of money it would be to spend a lot of money to search for two people. But um, uh, for the most part, people are really glad that we are taking a stand, standing up putting our money where our mouth is or our actions where our mouth is in terms of uh, reconciliation, yeah. And usually you get way more negative than positive. So to get way more positive to me says, it's a landslide. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Just who's gonna take the effort to write the emails or make the phone calls as often yeah. the case. Well, that's- yeah. That's good to hear about the positive responses. And so sort of, so our last episode, we talked about truth and reconciliation sort of generally um, and our opinions about it. And I was wondering if you could sort of talk about um, how you feel the ELCIC uh, can engage or has engaged effectively in, in reconciliation or truth and reconciliation? Sure. I think it varies a lot uh, across the country and within each province from sort of community to community. Um, I think there's some reasons for that. Um, natural inclination or disinclination to follow up on the work. Uh, I think it's easier for people who live more closely to indigenous communities 
um, and, and find are able to find somebody to be in relationship with. And it, in relationship with is the first step of reconciliation, I believe. Um, there's a lot of places in the country where there aren't very many Indigenous um, people close by. Um, that has to do with the tragic history of the country and the way people have been moved onto reserve and um, and moved out of the area altogether or uh, um, killed off through war, etc. Um, so in Atlantic Canada, it's a bit easier for um, people to be in um, in um, in relationship with the Mi'kmaq people. Uh, we have very small congregations in Quebec, um, mostly uh, the rural areas. I can't imagine that those two small churches would be involved with the urban areas, maybe with the Ganesahagi. Um, in Ontario, again, yeah, high dispersal of, um, of Indigenous people. I remember moving to Ontario from BC and saying, what have they done with all the Indigenous people? Because I was used to seeing people regularly and um, hearing news about Indigenous issues on a regular basis. And I moved to Ontario and it was like no such thing. It never, never saw, never heard. Um, the Eastern Synod has a relationship with the um, Six Nations on the Grand, as does the um, seminary there. Um, and as do some of the areas or specific congregations, um, which is a large reserve and um, is able to have the capacity to have that many relationships. Um, and in Manitoba, there's been some work done in terms of uh, relationship with, no with Northern Manitoba. Um, some of the, um, so Bishop Larry, who was one of the Anglican bishops who was down here, he's had people up to his territory um, from MNO. And they've got some kind of partnership going and we've got um, an urban ministry um, called the Urban um, in Winnipeg uh, to do um, Indigenous uh, ministry and um, Indigenous non-Indigenous uh, ministry. Um, Saskatchewan, it depends on, I guess, where you are in the province and how closely you're situated. Um, I think it really depends on the um, on the congregation and on the group of people. I mean, we all watched the Colton Boucher uh, murder and how little uh, response there was around that. So uh, I, I think they're trying. I, I think some congregations are really trying, but it's, it, it doesn't seem to be a high priority issue there. In Alberta, again, it's um, it depends on where you are. I, I think the Synod is quite um, engaged in, in the work of reconciliation, uh, but wh where it's picked up locally is different uh, from place to place. NBC seems to be a higher percentage of, um, of people who want to be engaged in the work of reconciliation. Um, I see more in the BC Synod news than I sometimes see in other news, for example. So that's a good thing. Um, I think what the ministry is and what the relationships with are, I don't know as well. Uh, I, I see where they are. I don't know what they are. 
And it seems to me in terms of truth and reconciliation, we need to be looking at a number of things. Um, relationship is certainly part and, and uh, of that, but um, there's some other work that, that has um, overflow with some of the other anti-racism we need to, to, to work on about um, the overall whiteness of our church, um, the, the privilege that we have with that whiteness, um, the way uh, the system of colonialism has advantaged that, um, not just in terms of, um, of, of Indigenous people, but in terms of, for example, the Chinese came over to build the railroad or, you know, um, the Black people who came up from, um, at, at the time of the, uh, what am I thinking of, the, the civil right, the civil war, um, who came up with the British. Um, there, there's the the persecution that happened with the Japanese during the the Second World War. We've got lots of things that we need to work on, lots of reconciliations. Um, but this is the longest, most historic, most oppressive uh, form of abuse uh, that is taking place between. Um, the majority of Canadians and, and Indigenous people. So we have the most work to do in terms of our, with our Indigenous siblings. And sometimes um, hear from folks in Lutheran churches, for example, who sometimes we have a defensive posture to distance ourselves from that work we need to do and saying we weren't, uh, as invested in the colonial project as some other churches, <laughs> kind of our evil is a lesser evil argument, never a great uh, argument to lead with. Uh, mm -hmm. Either that or that happened a long time ago, which also isn't true. Um, uh, so those are some of the rebuttals we often hear, uh, or, well, our, our church is too small now and we don't have the energy for this. Um, I mean, we also have some good, some good stories to contrast that with at Lutheran Church of the Cross, where Austin and I have, and as you mentioned in the BC Synod, and frankly across the LCIC, there are these more positive stories, and the one we're talking with you about in Winnipeg. Um, so thankfully, we we do have a lot of steps forward and relationship building to draw on, um, and just that tension with those other voices of saying it's it's not our work or um, why are we still, why is this still a thing? Um, so I guess the question is there how we, um, I guess balance when we have those tensions within congregations, especially um, to make inroads where people don't have momentum, maybe what's what's a thing they can do if they they feel a bit isolated on doing that work in their congregation. Mm -hmm. Well, if you aren't getting support, I mean, there's probably other, I mean, if you aren't getting support in a Lutheran congregation and you want to do the work of reconciliation, there's probably others in your community and a group that you can find to do that reconciliation work outside of the church. And in terms of inside of the church, there's Orange Shirt Day, there's, you know, uh, the day we honor missing and murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Day. There's um, National Indigenous Peoples Day. There's days that you can wear 
um, demonstrate uh, your participation and and continue to to model your own caring and and it may be that that you 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 win people over gradually. I mean, I understand the people who said we didn't run residential schools, therefore, but I say we were Canadians. We're part of the system, so we have a responsibility. It's true that when residential schools began, most of the Lutheran congregations weren't speaking English, so we weren't turned to, but that's not a virtue, that's just an accident. Um, and and we still need to be able to hold government's account at every age, and, and we had that responsibility and we failed in it. Um, so we're complicit, that's what I believe, and, and have a responsibility as Canadians and as partners with other churches that we care about um, to assist them as they continue to, to work on the harm that has been done within their church. And that's not to say, I mean, we have a very low representation of indigenous peoples in our church. I think that is very safe to say, but we can cause a lot of harm if Indigenous people do choose to, to come to our, into our midst and we are prepared to A, receive them, but B, participate in the work that they see as being important as well. So I, I, I think we all just need to be involved in the work of reconciliation. That's great, thank you. Um, and I, so to sort of, I guess, circle back a little bit to Camp Morgan, if that's okay, because I had, it's one of those, I had like thought of a question and then it slowly disappeared and then it came back while we were talking about the last topic. Um, I'm wondering, so I know at the time that you had gone there, things were sort of not looking so good for there to be a search of the landfill. Right. Um, it was pretty much like the, the government, we had talked a bit about the political sort of uh, what's called atmosphere there um, before this recent election and that it was basically like the government was running on a platform of the fact that they were not going to search the landfill. Yes. Um, and and so you are based out of Winnipeg. Um, mm -hmm. What is your sense now after this most recent, like, is there sort of a have you felt the renewed sense of hope, I guess, that that a search? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Wabkanu has said that it's a priority to search the, and has made the commitment to search the, the landfill. And I've seen some of the people that I met from Camp Morgan who are, are feeling very positive and, um, and very hopeful um, about this news. I've also heard from people who are feeling less positive and, and kind of ticked off about the, but they were the same people who were ticked off beforehand. So there you go. Um, I think the people will stay at the camps until the search is finished. So, um, you know, Bishop Jason from the MNO Synod, you know, stayed in contact, is committed to stay in contact and continue to um, advertise to within the Synod for needs for the camp. Um, that's something that they can do on a local basis. Um, I've written to the premier, uh, along with Bishop Jason, uh, the day after he was um, elected um, in his role as um, premier designate, 
and um, and and thanked him for his commitment um, and um, uh, talked quoted some stuff from his throne speech and and asked for ways that we can work together. So um, hopefully uh, hopefully we can find a way. Um, to work more closely with this government than we were able to um, with the previous government. And would you, so I'm, so something I'm curious about, does have the sort of the provincial or the federal governments, has there ever been, so I, because I know that obviously, you know, the ELCIC and other denominational leaders will often write to the government and you know, express support or express disappointment or, you know, um, but have they ever opened that channel back at the denominations in Canada? Have you, have you ever noticed anything like that? Um, not particularly in this area around truth and reconciliation. Um, there's the possibility that some other work we're doing um, might bear fruit in the near future, we've heard. So, um, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we often, you know, when you're getting response from the correspondence secretary that is not being treated very seriously. Um, but every once in a while we get a response from a minister or from the prime minister himself. So that, that gives you hope that somebody's, somebody's listening, but a lot of the time it's a form letter. That's not the point. I mean, I love the story of the persistent widow. Um, and I really think that's what um, the people at Camp Morgan have have been showing is is that persistence to call out for justice um, against the unjust judge uh, until um, they wear him down. Um, so in this case, it's been wearing down a provincial government, um, and it looks like they've been able to do that. So that's fabulous. So, so too with the persistent widow, she was able to change the mind of the unjust judge and had her case settled in her favor. So sometimes you just have to keep at it whether or not you see direct results. Yeah. So I'll write as many letters as I can write, even if they don't bear a lot of fruit. Good though, that's good. Um, and do you, so, so we talked about kind of how people can engage in in reconciliation generally. And do you have any sort of an idea about how people, because I mean, I know every single province essentially has their issues and, and we're all sort of, people in each province are all kind of trying to sort the things out going on in our own provinces. But do you have any idea about how people nationwide could support what's going on at, at Camp Morgan? Um, well, they can certainly receive donations. Um, they don't, I don't think they can receive specific donations, but they have, um, they have a site where you can go and order wood for them, for example. Uh, and, uh, that's great. There's a great guy who will deliver wood, uh, chop to them, keep the fire going. Uh, I, I don't think they've got a GoFundMe page or anything like that, but, um, I'm sure letters of support, prayers, would all be um, most welcome as well. Thank you. Um, and I had one, again, this is one of those situations where I had a question for you and it's kind of okay. just, it's kind of disappeared. Um, well, on that related notion of advocacy, something that I often struggle with is how do we parse 
um, being justice advocates in the church uh, when things get contentious? How do we petition government officials for things in ways that are nonpartisan, but we're still holding elected representatives accountable? I guess, like, how do we how do we do that without? Well, there's going to be the critiques of like, oh, well, you're this sounds like a a partisan angle you're taking, or this is usually when people disagree with yeah. an approach. That's a very uh, ready at hand argument, which often isn't true. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I just think about for myself, how do we kind of explain that to congregations and the wider church and the public uh, as a nonprofit in Canada? how we do that kind of advocacy work, uh, which is legitimate without it straying into partisan grounds. Right. Um, well, I think I think it's the tone you you take and, and uh, you're always, you need to keep on about what the issue is and not about who the party is or what, the, what necessarily the party has done. It needs to be stuck to facts. And if you stick to facts and not personalities, which I think people always should do. Um, <clears throat> I think you've got a better leg to stand on. Um, uh, uh, threats of, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to elect a different government. That's not a helpful thing uh, to say, you know, your government's been terrible in many areas, but this is one where it really takes the cake. That's not a helpful thing. But to say we're writing because we have a concern today about reconciliation with indigenous peoples. And these are our concerns. And this is what we'd like to see signed X, Y, Z. I think it's really hard to argue with that. All right, so we could we could put out a little, uh, a short how-to manual with justice advocacy for church folks. Stick to the issues and don't make it personal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's pretty simple. All right. Yeah. Okay, I, I remember my question now. That's um. Uh, is there? Do you have any plans to go back out to Camp Morgan at any point, or or has that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I gave them a check, a personal check, when I was there the last time, and I'll go out and give them another check uh, the next time I go. But I would like to go and say hello and spend some time at the Sacred Fire and and uh, just see how things are going especially as it's starting to get colder here. Well, a unique situation, right? The ELCIC is in Winnipeg, which is uncommon for most of the national church offices. So you, you can be a kind of advocate maybe on behalf of some of the other national church leaders who, who aren't in Winnipeg. Exactly. Just like they can for me in many er other areas when things happen in Toronto and Ottawa. <clears throat> And that's the great way to be church. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that's kind of all, all the questions that I had thought of for you. I don't know if, uh, Pastor Lynn, if you have any more questions that are... Well, we just have uh, a few minutes. I don't know if it's okay to slightly switch topics or not, just because the Israel-Palestine issue is ready at hand and um, not not to, I don't know, I was going to say not to get into too contentious waters, but it seems that's hard to avoid. 
Um, but thank you for uh, the statement that you and Anglicans, Anglican leaders put out. I just read that email today and we'll share that with church folks. And um, yeah, just curious a little bit about the backstory. How do you go about crafting an email? It looks very well worded that um, we care about this humanitarian crisis both for people in Israel and Palestine. And I know language is such a huge issue um, in the Holy Land. Um, and, and it needed to come out in a timely manner, uh, how you go about doing that or what that looks like. Well, it's Thanksgiving weekend. You wake up and there's a war on. And you feel really awful. Um, I've been to Gaza twice. I know people there. Uh, I know people in, in the West Bank and in Jerusalem, and I just, I'm, I've been just full of anxiety for people I know, but for the important ministry that our churches are and our partner churches do there. Um, I, Linda was the one who said, I can't stand it, so I've drafted a letter. She just, she drafted one first. Um, I saw it and suggested some changes, but then we run it through a variety of staff as well, people who are involved in the sort of global companion aspect of our of our joint work, but then also our, our quote, justice people and our ecumenical people. So we get a lot of different eyes on it um, very quickly. And so we were able, people were willing to work on Thanksgiving and, uh, and we were able to get up and posted on the joint website by the by Sunday afternoon. So I, I think that, you know, kudos to all of the staff on both sides of the office who are um, in both offices who are willing to just put aside Thanksgiving and uh, do this important work. So you do it because it needs to be done. Right. And any, any suggestions on how we navigate some of these things as congregations I've noticed like I've also received some, um, well, some questions from from local folks, where you've got one group asking for unequivocal support, um, and if you don't offer that immediately, it starts to look like a both sidesism thing. Which I just recently wrote wrote an op-ed to avoid both sidesism. In, in in supporting trans people, for example, and Black Lives Matter and different things. And here we have this humanitarian crisis in the Holy Land. And I do feel a bit stuck in terms of language. I thought the joint letter that you signed struck a good balance. Uh, relationship matters a whole lot. Um, but there is gonna be pushback if people want a very specific outcome of our support. And if it sounds like it's not unequivocal for one party, it it quickly gets pretty difficult. And I don't uh, I don't have any great insight there other than the relationship building you talked about for reconciliation and having mm -hmm. relationships with these church and multi faith partners in the Holy Lands goes a long ways. So. I guess pointing to those as you do in the letter, and that's the kind of thing we can point to locally. I feel a bit stuck with that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I think I think there are some things you can state unequivocally, you know, like to condemn the terrorist attack by Hamas. I think that's okay to condemn the terrorist. I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal. Now, I could also talk about, you know, what the political or what the situation on the ground is that I can speculate, you know, led to the attack happening and then the and the responsibility Israel might need to to bear for some of those circumstances. Uh, but that's not a helpful thing right at this moment. I'm very afraid that the um, Israeli response uh, is going to include uh, not just a siege on Gaza, but the actual, you know, boots on the ground in Gaza. Uh, and then you'll see the numbers of, of deaths um, climbing quickly. I mean, it already is climbing quickly in Gaza. Um, like basically, if they're not getting water, and all the water there is desal is is salinated, people aren't going to live very long. Just a regular population. And if if they're going house to house searching, and if they're still bombing and bringing down houses, there's a lot of innocent civilians that are going to die. And I think we're able to then say unequivocal things about um, the harshness of the response. And I think there are some biblical things we can say <laughs> about um, the harshness of both the original attack and about the response um, and, a, and a call for peace, which is, um, which is also very biblical. So uh, it's, always hit, it's always wonderful when you can go back. I'm not a great, I'm not a great one for proof texting, but the theme of peace is pretty strong throughout scripture and pretty safe to, to be able to talk about. Right, that that makes sense. And, and yeah, pointing to those real partners that we have on the ground and friends and colleagues and yeah, yeah for their safety and um, for humanitarian responses that they be uh, find a way th through this and just, yeah, in a war situation. Well, and that everyone des deserves humanitarian response. I mean, good good for Canada. It's it's still going to send money towards the, the PA, but it's going to ensure that money doesn't go to Hamas. I mean, how they figure that. I mean, I actually, I do think aid agencies are very good at that. Uh, um, I will say that for sure. Uh, but... Um, I wish other governments were doing the same thing because it's certainly not going to help. Um, this corner of the world is going to need a lot of help. Um, the destruction that you can see already in in Gaza looks looks worse than it did after the last incursion, and uh, so it's very worrying. Right, um, and just thinking back to the kinds of relationships we're building with uh, both uh, Jewish and Palestinian groups within Canada and what what that looks like, because there are kind of proxy, um, I don't know, uh, back and forth that are happening in communities across, across the country. I remember living in Montreal for a bit and there was quite strong 
student movements uh, on both sides there, between Concordia University especially and, and beyond, and I'm sure in all our communities, and what that might look like for us to do bridge building locally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or peacekeeping. Right. Now, I didn't hear about any really strong protests. I mean, I heard that there were protests. I didn't see signs of anything violent or, but we need to be prepared to be there to help too, if it's necessary. I'm mostly worried about how long this is gonna go on for. I'm supposed to be going over to the territory in uh, November, and I have a feeling that that trip is going to get canceled. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, looks that way. Um, maybe there's maybe some of that energy could be put put into the peacemaking or bridge building some some other way if it's not a trip in person. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, well, we should probably wrap it up, um, but thank you so much. Um, and I was wondering just quickly before we did our sort of outro and our thank yous, if there was anything else that you would like to add. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's just that I think the work of reconciliation is the work that we are all called to um, as Christians, as, as human beings. Um, and so th these, this is one specific example, relationship with Indigenous people, where we can really act out our faith. And, and we need to remind people that, that, that the work of reconciliation has been trusted to, uh, entrusted to us by Christ, and it's the work we're supposed to be doing. So, you know, let's get on with it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, so... Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and, and talk to us about oh, experiences and about reconciliation. And thank you for being open to the topic switch as well. It's it, it's tough. It's one thing you kind of have to, you know, it's very uh, relevant right now because it's ongoing. It just started. So um, thank you so much. Um, and we'd like to say thank you to CFUV for allowing us to record in their wonderful studio. And we want to say thank you to UVic Multifaith, um, Lutheran Church of the Cross, where both Lyndon and I are. Thank you to the BC Synod, and thank you to the ELCIC for the continued support of this work. And uh, uh, Bishop Susan, where can people find you online? Well, my email is sjohnson at elcic.ca. And on X, I am at National Bishop. There we go. And you can, our, our episodes drop every Monday morning. You can find us wherever podcasts are available. Um, Live on Thursdays at 11 as well. So. That's, if you're local, it's yeah, CFUB yeah. 101.9 in Greater Victoria. Yeah. All right. Have thank me back sometime. I'd be happy to come back. We love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Thank okay. you for listening.